Well, once again, Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the elders here of Maranatha, and I'm glad you've come. How wonderful it is to have the kids in our gathering today as well. So if they seem to make some noise, don't worry. It's a great time to, to celebrate with everybody and be together as one church as we planted Maranatha Canal Winchester a few months ago and we here at Pickerington are just recently celebrated five years. It's been an incredible blessing to get to serve Christ as he builds his church and we just simply try to keep up with him. It's a great blessing and I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you've come to join us on Christmas Day. Um, it's wonderful. So, well, we've come to our final sermon in our Advent series in this season of Christmas, and I hope that this Advent year has been a real blessing to you as we've walked through the Christmas story, really the story that is the, the, the story of Jesus' birth. Uh, and today, we're going to continue on in that story with this final portion by looking into, or rather looking at the wise men who have come to worship the newly born king, which means that we're going to be reading from Matthew's gospel. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So if you would please go ahead and open your Bibles there. Again, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, open them up so you can follow along. Um, but before we do read that passage, I want to explain something that we do here at Maranatha. If you happen to be here and visiting with us because it's Christmas, or for whatever reason you're here with your family for the first time, first, uh, thank you. Number one, thank you for coming. Thank you for trusting us enough to come and worship Christ along with us on this Sunday morning. We are honored that you're here. And two, I want to explain quickly one of our traditions here at Maranatha, only because it might not be a common practice at the church that you typically worship with. And that tradition is that we stand whenever God's word is read. We stand because we want to show God, our creator, the one who has given us salvation, we want to show him the proper amount of reverence as we read his word aloud. So we're going to do that here in just a moment um, because we are coming before him to worship him through the humble preaching of his word. So with all that said, if you would please, and if you're able, stand with me in that reverence of our Lord God King as I read his word aloud. Again, this is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is what it says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose, and, he, and, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May I have a seat and I'll pray for us as you do that. Father, thank you so much again for today. Thank you for this opportunity to be your church, to, to gather with family and friends and other people of our city who, who are worshiping on a regular basis. But Lord, we've gotten a chance to come today. And Lord, we are thankful that you are worthy of our worship. We're thankful that we can hear from you on a daily basis as we seek you out in the scriptures, that you've already spoken to us through your son Jesus, and you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness, everything that we need to understand what salvation actually is and what is to come for us. Lord, we love you and we trust you, and again, you are worthy of all of our worship. And I pray today, Lord, that you allow our hearts to hear this truth, to see what you've already proclaimed to be true, and let it transform us. Give, let it give us great faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, as we honor him by honoring you. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now, this last portion of this uh, honestly, beautiful and historical story, that's important, historical story, we get to hear about a wonderful reality that is only possible because of this birth, because of Jesus' actual birth, and that is proper worship of God. We are only capable or able to worship God because of what Christ has done for us. You see, these wise men, who were also called the Magi, as they were most likely considered magicians at that time, because uh, these men would have had certain uh, knowledge or certain skills that, in, in particular areas that often confuse the average person, well, somehow they learned that a king had been born. They learned that a king was just born, and that happened, as we were told, through their eyewitness of a certain star, which proved to them that this new baby that was just born wasn't any normal king that had come to earth. Otherwise, why travel from so far to worship him, right? Why, there, there's kings born constantly, likely. There are kings born through all sorts of different regions. So why come to worship this one king? It wasn't any other normal king. But the question can then be brought up. Whether or not these wise men happened to believe in the God of creation, to believe in the God of Israel, or were they just mystics who just so happened to discover something that was actually true? Well, without knowing that answer... Without knowing how the, the wise men felt about the God of Israel, what we can believe by the evidence already found in the Bible is that God is not limited in his power. That God is not limited in his power. He can use anyone to bring about truth, uh, prophecy in that time, and even worship. We see that in Numbers 24, 17, when he used Balaam, a Gentile, mind you, in the time of Israel, to speak the prophecy about this particular star that these wise men saw and how it depicted the life of the Messiah. He used Caiaphas, a Pharisee, mind you, in the time when Christ was walking the earth in John eleven fifty, to tell the truth about the great blessing that it would be that Jesus would die in the place of all of God's people. 
So God is not limited in his power in how he works and how he brings about his glory. He even uses people who seem far from him. Because again, God is not limited in how the truth is given. It's just simply those who have ears to hear, let them hear and respond in worship. Amen? Let us have ears to hear and respond in worship. So let's do that. Let's do that this morning. That is what we have come together collectively to, in fact, do, to worship Christ the Lord. So listen, let's listen and let's worship our God. Now, each Sunday, what we typically do is we take a passage and we actually walk through it basically verse by verse. We, uh, we sort of uh, pull it apart and unpack it to reveal the truth that it holds about Christ. And we're going to focus on Christ today. But because today, being the day that it is, we thought it would be good to celebrate Jesus' birth by hearing as many blessings and reasons as we can as to why Jesus is worthy of our worship. Today's a day of, of true celebration. It's a day where we come with joy, expecting gifts, looking forward to feasts and celebrations. So let's worship. Let's celebrate this king. And we decided to do that by grounding us in one book of the Bible. One book of the Bible that speaks of all the wonderful ways that Jesus did fulfill his own types and shadows that the Old Testament speaks of. Therefore, what we're about to do is we're going to hear from the entire book of Hebrews. We're going to walk through the entire book of Hebrews this Christmas morning. And the way that we're going to do that is we're actually going to go chapter by chapter, and I'm going to list all the beautiful things, all the wonderful truths that are said about our King Jesus. Amen? Amen. All the glorious and wonderful things. So I want to ask something of you. I know we're a church that loves to take notes and we love to think, but rather today, I want to ask you to sit. I want to ask you to just allow these great blessings to wash over you, to hear what Christ has done for you in his birth. Instead of taking notes, just let it come to you. Receive what Christ has for you, what he has done for you. After, and afterwards, if you want more, well, then you can go and read and study Hebrews on your own. I don't know. Wonderful Christmas tradition. It won't, you will never be disappointed. So let's begin, all right? Let's begin. And of course, we're just going to begin at the beginning. We're going to begin with chapter one, where we get to see actually the nature of Jesus. In chapter 1, it begins with the nature of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews tells us that God, in fact, speaks and moves through the Christ. He speaks and moves through his son, Jesus. We are told that Jesus is the very radiance of God's glory as he is the exact imprint of his very nature. He is all-powerful. And he, in fact, holds the entire universe together just with the power of his word. The authority that he holds is over everything and it extends into forever. Jesus loves righteousness and he hates wickedness. This Jesus that we've come to worship today is the God and author of all creation. Chapter 2, 
We learn about Jesus' incarnation. We hear how he is a miracle worker. We see his willingness to take on a posture of humility even though he is worthy of exaltation. We are told that he died for the world, that his word and works are eternal and will never be able, or rather, will always and forever be able to be trusted. He, Jesus, destroyed death. He, Jesus, defeated the devil. Amen. This Jesus is, in fact, then, therefore, the propitiation for our sin. He is the payment and the appeasement for our sin. His is the payment, and his life and death is brought about, again, as the appeasement of God. And not only that, but he has also brought us into his glory. He has given us what belongs to him. Chapter 3. We learn that God is pleased with his son. God is pleased with Jesus. We learn that we are his workmanships. We are brought into what he is doing. He, as our Lord, has in fact taken responsibility for us. We are promised that he is good. And he is good because he is holy. And he is always and will forever be good. And because of that, because of what he did, we are now able to approach him with confidence. Amen. We can go to our Lord without fear and trembling. Chapter 4, he is our rest. He promises that we can have rest in him, true rest. This rest comes in seeing all that he has done and is doing for us. Speaking of creation, this life, death, and everything that is to come. He was tempted just as we are, but he remains without sin. This Jesus is full of grace and full of mercy and sympathetic to our struggles. He is the one who made it possible for us to draw near, in fact, to the throne of grace with a kind of confidence that a child has as she is comforted by her father. Chapter 5, we see that he is our high priest. Jesus was appointed to do what we couldn't. He is the very source of our eternal salvation to all who obey. He is the proper nourishment for his people as well. He is who sustains us and preserves us until he returns. Chapter 6, he is our anchor of assurance. His desire, he, or rather he desires and he accomplishes our spiritual maturity. He is also aware and conscious of what we do in worship of him. He has made us all heirs of his eternal promised inheritance. Chapter 7, he is our guarantee. He has, no, he has no beginning because he was before all things as he is the creator of all things. He brought about the new covenant by his priestly reign. His life is, in fact, indestructible. He is perfectly good, meaning, again, that he is holy because he is innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and therefore worthy of being exalted above the heavens. 
Hallelujah. This Jesus was and is perfect, and he will be that way forever and ever. Chapter 8, he is our better covenant. Jesus is seated at the throne in heaven. He is our God, and we are his people. Amen. Amen. He is merciful towards us. He is merciful by, in fact, choosing to remember our sins no more. Chapter 9, he has put away sin. He is our true, better, and perfect tabernacle. He is what allows us to, in fact, worship him, and he makes us God's living temple for that worship. He is our mediator before God in heaven. And he is who made it possible for us to be washed clean by the spilling of his own precious blood. Chapter 10. He is our only worthy sacrifice. He is the substance which all the shadows in the Old Testament were modeling. He is who fulfilled the will of God by accomplishing all that was needed for our salvation once and for all. He makes it possible that we are properly cleansed in order to be allowed into the presence of God. He is trustworthy to fulfill his promises that he will bring about right and proper justice. And it is this Jesus who preserves us in himself until his return. Chapter 11, he is the object of our faith. He proves, or rather he provides us with the faith that we need in him. It is him who has faithfully worked through all the generations of the world to bring about his good will, which he promised to do from the very beginning of time. Jesus is our hope for what is to come, for that better country, that heavenly place where we will get to be with him forever and ever. Chapter 12, he is our founder and perfecter. On our behalf, he has ended the hostility that existed between us and God. He also disciplines us as a way to lovingly make us more like himself. He is our very strength and peace. He brings us as children into his kingdom that has a foundation that cannot be shaken because he is unshakable. Amen. Chapter 13, he is our helper. He is our helper. After all, he purchased for us the gift of brotherly love. A brotherly love that we have in him and in one another. He gives us other believers to imitate as they too imitate Christ. He makes us into his church because he truly is the great shepherd of the sheep. And to end this list, this long list that isn't so much like our Christmas list as we sort of roll out everything that we want. Rather, this is a list that informs us of everything that we've been given. To end this list, we must be reminded of Jesus' preeminence and permanence. His preeminence and his permanence because this Jesus who is worthy of our worship this day and every other day because he is the son of God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is our Jesus. That is the baby that was born and took on flesh for us so that we might not fear death. 
and the devil be defeated. So with all that said, with all this opportunity and reminding of who our Christ is, who our Lord is, Maranatha, let us pray. Let us pray as we continue to worship. Let us meditate on this beautiful and wonderful Christ that is ours, which has been given to us. Amen? Amen. Let's continue on. If you would, please pray with me. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you, Lord, that he is all that he claims to be. Lord, that he is holy and perfect and good and righteous. Lord, thank you that these things are unchangeable so they can be trusted, they can be relied upon when our perspective is so shallow. When we suffer in this world, when we're faced with the realities and the consequences of sin, help us to remember who your son is and all that he has done on our behalf. Lord, let us be a church that gathers together around the center of who and what the gospel proclaims about. Help us to bear the burdens of one another in this next year. Help us to be a church that shines a light so brightly that people can't help but recognize that we worship Christ and Christ alone. Lord, we ask for many more people, our friends, our family members, the people that we meet on a daily basis. Lord, we ask for their salvation. We ask that you transform their heart and that you give them faith, that you bring them from death to life so they may worship you rightly. Thank you for allowing us to do so. Encourage us, strengthen us, and preserve us to be humble heralds of your word of truth. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.